0: You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.
1: From bridges to skyscrapers to apartment buildings, when a construction company or an engineer takes shortcuts and fails to form their job properly, collapses can occur in the blink of an eye. I'm your host, Brian Wagner a licensed professional engineer, and this episode of the Engineering Quality Control Podcast, we'll be talking with Chino Jaramillo, a quality control auditor, expert witness, corporate trainer, public speaker, and published author about structural collapses over the past few years and what caused them and the need to establish a quality control agency to enforce nationwide quality management systems. So let's jump right in. So now i'd like to welcome our guest for today gino jaramillo gino welcome to the engineering quality control podcast
2: thank you brian pleasure to be here with you
1: so just to get started can you tell us uh, the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do on a daily basis
2: i'm 67 years old now so i've lead a incredibly blessed life i am retired so i don't have a, a typical day my day is very flexible I'm a electrical engineer. I got an MBA. I worked as a real estate developer. I was a franchisee of checkers. I sold knives, taught others how to sell knives. I had an art gallery and studio. I taught yoga for like five years at LA Fitness and other clubs around. But my main gig was I worked for the same general contractor for 25 years building mostly vertical construction here in South Florida. And then I retired, and I got this opportunity to teach at Florida International University, which is what I do now. So I'll be teaching two classes in the spring in person. I've done a lot of uh, online stuff. And then I also teach at Miami-Dade College, one of the biggest colleges in the United States. And then my third opportunity was Volunteer State Community College, where through the OSHA Training Institute, education center, they made me an authorized instructor, and I can teach some safety courses. So my typical day is teaching, picking up my kids, cooking dinner, and just loving my retired life. Thank you for Social Security payments.
1: Seems like very diverse experience, and I'm sure that's all went into your career, and in everything you do, there's a little perspective from all those different things that you've been involved in absolutely each experience prepares you for the next one it's amazing i encourage people especially in school like try different things try different internships don't get locked into i have to do x y or z i was personally on a track for architecture and in high school i got hired as a civil intern 20 years later i'm a civil engineer it kind of pivoted everything just because of an opportunity which really opened my eyes to a new world that i had never even thought about. I completely agree with that. So working in South Florida for the past 60 years in vertical construction, can you talk a little bit about maybe some history, maybe some not so good history as far as like collapses or issues that you've come across or
2: experienced? Here's my observation. The 60 years happens to be that this December 25th, my parents migrated to the United States and they settled into Miami brought me and my five siblings here. So our whole family's here, been here for 60 years, come this December 25th. But I made an observation because I live in a certain part of Miami. It's a suburb, it's called Doral. I've since moved out after 20 years, but I live in Miami, in the western portion of Miami. And what I noticed is that in the last 10 years, just 10 years, there were three major collapses that happened all around me. And I'm like, wow, if you were to put three pins on a map, it would make a triangle. And I live in the middle of that triangle. So the first one was Miami-Dade College, another campus of Miami-Dade College had a parking structure that was coming up and they did not grout the bottom of the columns and they depended on some temporary tack welding to hold up some panels. This was a prefabricated garage. And the crane kind of nicked a column that didn't have the grout, and the grout hit another one, a little domino effect. Sadly, they had some people working underneath, and so four workers were killed. The next event that happened, and I was very intimately aware of this project because the firm that I worked for for 25 years was the design builder for a new pedestrian bridge connecting a little city that we call here Sweetwater to the university so that the students could walk safely across a six lane highway. There's traffic signals and whatever, but kids have been hit. So they came up with this pedestrian bridge idea. And one Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon, actually, they were working on the bridge while the traffic was still flowing, which was a huge mistake. It collapsed like a tape. Do you ever hold a tape measure and you extend it out too far and the tape measure just kind of kinks and bends that That's what it looks like if you look at any of the videos. And it killed six people. Five of them were from the public. One of them happened to be a young lady that was a student, 19 years old, at at the university. They've now erected a bronze statue of her. One was a worker. And it injured 10 others. All told, probably $150 million loss. Next, last June, we had some heavy rains. And there was a condominium, well, several towers called the Champlain Towers in Surfside. There's four buildings, I think it was. And there's videos of that too. It's super scary. Uh, During that rainstorm, you could see one tower kind of just start shrinking down on itself and it topples the other tower. And then since that, they've now taken down the whole thing. That one killed 98 people. So between those three accidents in just 10 years, you're talking 98 plus 6 plus 4, 108 people perished. And this has just been in the last 10 years. So that got me thinking about, got to do something about this. And I'll talk more about that when you ask me the questions.
1: So your family immigrated on Christmas?
2: On Christmas Day. we, We were actually slated to leave Christmas Eve, but the flight was delayed. So we ended up landing here December 25th, 1962.
1: So that turned out to be a great Christmas gift.
2: Oh, it was fantastic. I I always joke around that if my parents had stayed in Colombia, where I'm from originally, I might have ended up being a priest.
1: (laughs) You mentioned one. We wanted to talk a little bit more about the Champlain Towers. Do you know what that root
2: cause was? What caused that collapse? I have my theories Nothing has been determined yet. So there's nothing official. There are theories out there. There's many culprits that could be it. But the one that that I'm thinking I'm leaning towards and and pointing to a lot of people were like, oh, it's a 40 year old building and 40 year old buildings need to be recertified structurally and electrically mechanically. It was due for that. That was not the root cause, but it contributed. So it's called either lack of maintenance or deferred maintenance. They just don't do the maintenance. You start getting some spalling, then concrete starts falling off, the rebar gets exposed, it gets worse. There was some of that. But the one interesting thing that I read was that it could be, because remember, this is Miami Beach. So it's like an island, a coastal barrier island. The soil is not the greatest soil. And they did build it on auger piles. But there is a phenomenon called soil liquefaction. It just means the soil turns into liquid. It stops being so compacted, so dense, and then it gives way. Coincidentally, that is usually caused by an earthquake, an underwater earthquake. And what happened is the Navy hadn't done a test for geez, almost 40 years, and they ran a test. They there was that earthquake caused by the army on purpose. And they're now thinking that that probably contributed to the soil liquefaction, which led to the collapse of those buildings.
1: Yeah. I haven't seen anything official, but I do remember reading things about a lot of water, a lot of, I was just curious if you had any other insight on that, because obviously we're going to follow it a little closer than probably I'll say, unless I'll see it in the headline, maybe.
2: when the root, When the root cause comes out. Yeah.
1: Right. I'm sure we'll all see that. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are eagerly waiting for those findings, because as an industry, there is a general push that we do want to do better, right? That we want to learn from our mistakes and and try to prevent deaths and fatalities, because that is one of our main goals is to protect the public. So the pedestrian bridge that you mentioned, was that error or that was a design error that caused that failure?
2: yes that thing was copiously investigated and the main investigating body is called the national transportation safety board ntsb they came down they did their forensic analysis they wrote a 200 and something page report and what they said was the engineering design error that directly led to the collapse was identified by them as a miscalculation of resistance to sliding of the connection between the walkway surface and the truss that held it up. If you've seen any pictures of it, it looks like a giant concrete truss between the walkway surface and the roof, if you will. So these truss members were connected to the deck by steel reinforcing rods embedded in the deck and in the concrete trusses, and they were post tension. So in order to hold up the bridge, these connections had to prevent the truss from sliding along the walkway surface. The resistance to sliding was miscalculated, thus was not enough to prevent the connection from sliding, causing cracks in the truss concrete. And these are cracks that the company noted, and they were 40 times larger than the acceptable width of a crack. So as the cracking enlarged, it ultimately caused the complete disconnection of the trust to the walkway connections, leading to the collapse. However, and I agree with this statement by The New York Times, they concluded that the chief probable cause was the design by FIG engineers, and that every company, institution, and agency involved in the project was partly to blame for the bridge collapse. Where was FIU? Where was the Department of Transportation? Where were the inspectors? Where was the engineering company? And lastly, the contractor, why didn't they close the lanes? They had the permit to close the lane. Why were you working on a bridge with active traffic underneath? That was the crazy part. You would have had two stories. A bridge collapse in South Florida. Oh, wow. Oh, my. Oh, me. No big deal. But a bridge collapses and kills six people, injures 10 others, and closes the road, which the whole point of doing an accelerated bridge construction project is to minimize the impact of the traffic for the time that it was erected. And they did that. It took them four hours to truck it over from the side of the road on top of the two piers that they built.
1: Yeah, but when it collapses, it closes the road for a lifelong
2: time. Oh, yeah, it was several days before they cleared all that rubble. And they have to do it gingerly. You know, there's people underneath, there's forensic evidence that needs to be preserved. So it took a while.
1: Were they working on fixing the cracks when it failed or were they fixing something else?
2: They were trying to, remember, it was post-tension cables that during the course of building it and moving it, they tightened it, they loosened it, and then they were re it. So they thought that by pulling on the cable that it would kind of bring the cracks back together. But that caused
1: the failure. Yes, sir. So you mentioned a statement from the New York Times in the case of that circumstance, but can we talk about watchdogs? So the definition of a watchdog is a person or committees whose job is to make sure that a companies do not do illegal or irresponsible things. In your opinion, why would you say that we need an industry watchdog for the building industry?
2: Here's what I realized, and I spoke at the Advancing Construction Quality Conference, and this idea was widely received, surprisingly well received. What I noticed is that there's a triangle, a triumvirate with three vertices. One is productivity or production. We're all good at that. And then there's safety, and there's quality. Productivity has been around for at least a century, maybe more. We're good at that. We can make anything from airplanes to automobiles to spaceships. We grow enough food. I mean, we're good. We can make stuff. So there's a guy named Joseph M. Duran, a famous American engineer, that he said that the 20th century was the century of productivity, but the 21st century would be the century of quality. So I got looking at OSHA for the safety portion. They've been around for 52 years. You've got 100 years of productivity, 52 years of safety, and OSHA has made a huge impact in the well-being of workers and in preventing their deaths. But quality, although there's standards like ASTM, ACI, they've been around for years, maybe 100 years, some of them, but there's no governing body. There's not one roof, one umbrella that they all fall under. And I feel like there has to be consequences. So I teach quality control at FIU and I teach the history of quality. In there, it talks about a guy named King Hammurabi of Babylon. And he codified into law that if you designed a structure and someone died in the structure, they would kill you. Now, I'm not saying, hey, let's kill the engineer. Let's electrocute this poor lady, Linda Figg, that designed this. But what I'm saying is she can't just walk away from this after six deaths and 10 injuries. You can't walk away with your license intact or no consequence. And I'm not talking financial either. You know, People will pay off something and, and okay, you're back. Should that lady be allowed to design another bridge or should it be more highly scrutinized? So I'm not saying that this government agency should be all like a police force to come and catch the bad guys. No, they're there like the good cop. They have to come and, and have interviews with people, make sure we're doing the same things the same way and protecting the public and to hold people accountable for when there's these huge errors. That's why I want a watchdog.
1: The industry relies on peer review or not necessarily independent review. It's all done in-house. It's done through the design process. It's done, oh, it was almost right, but it's not wrong but there's no accountability beyond that other than than that seal that an engineer is putting on a plan or, or that document. So I kind of like that perspective and it, it makes me start thinking. So we'll just have to continue that conversation as we go on.
2: I'm trying to leave that as my legacy that somehow this lowly adjunct professor came up with this nutty idea, the nutty professor. And when I said that to a group of, professional, quality control, executives, managers, whatever you want, title you want to give them, they were like, wow, this one lady said to me, Gino, your presentation is exactly why I came to this conference. You know, everybody else has all these pretty pictures and all this stuff. No, I was telling the truth and reality and to do something about it because three collapses in 10 years in my neighborhood, in my backyard, that really impacted me.
1: Infrastructure is just continuing to age, so I don't see it getting better.
2: Oh, yeah. Big at all. I see it
1: getting worse, unfortunately.
2: Worse, yeah. And then we get into the government funding, and then the things that get priority are not necessarily the things that need it. And we do have aging infrastructure, and there's been a lot of deferred maintenance. They don't maintain them, and that could make them fall.
1: I mean we can talk about this from like the perspective of now or the perspective of construction or both whatever wherever you want to go with this but what strategies do you believe should be implemented to reduce these failures and help protect the public
2: i think that there has to be first that watchdog agency to congeal it i think that we need to use artificial intelligence a lot more to check it you know we now have bim we have bim live and I think we do need to do more checking. There are safety factors, as you know, as a civil engineer introduced into all design, maybe 30%. Maybe that safety factor goes higher. Uh, we do need to educate and train people on what to look for. And especially after the building is done, you know, these days owners are spending a lot of money getting lead certified and all that happy stuff. But are they really getting the value Are they really getting a building that's maintainable and less of an issue uh, for the humans that occupy it? So I think maintenance personnel are vital to this whole process. They have to maintain their product. I work on Hurricane Irma claims, and I had a condo in in Brickell that suffered some damage because of Hurricane Irma, and the investigation revealed that their maintenance was not too good. They didn't caulk the windows, water infiltrated maintenance big deal in my mind
1: you see it with just roads the potholes and the like if we can't maintain basic asphalt how are we maintaining buildings and the infrastructure that really matters in some cases so you mentioned earlier that you've been involved with osha can you talk a little bit about their goals their efforts what they're doing
2: and your role in in some of that my role now currently is an instructor So I am authorized to teach the OSHA 10-hour and 30-hour courses because I have the 500 and the 510 certification. I'm also teaching an electrical hazards course. I teach fall protection. I teach recognizing other types of hazards. That's the main thing is recognizing hazards because really, hazards are not big deal. It's the unsafe act. So people work unsafely. They know yeah. they should be wearing a hard hat. They know they shouldn't climb up a ladder to the top rung. They know all these things, but still they they work unsafely. Now, OSHA, as I mentioned earlier, was is 52 years old now, signed into law back in the 70s by Richard Nixon. And they've made an impact. They've identified chemicals that are toxic to humans, in some cases lethal, could kill you. They cause cancers, they have, uh, asbestos has been outlawed, asbestosis. Uh, You got uh, silicosis can also mess you up pretty bad. So they've reduced the number of illnesses and injuries to the workforce. So back in the day, when you look at something like the Hoover Dam, there was a guy dying a day building that thing. And that was acceptable. But a company called Bechtel got the contract to build the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge and what they realized is that they could make an impact on safety and so the stat of the day was for every million dollars of a project you would expect one death so 34 million dollar project they thought 34 guys are going to die and oh that was okay but because of their safety measures only 11 people died in the span of the building of the structure 10 of them in one scaffold collapse accident the other one was a, a random accident so they made a huge impact and i think that osha sometimes people look at them as a, oh god osha's coming watch out hide everything no you have to be open about this and the more people are aware about safety and now i'm trying to increase aware on um, quality then the better it's going to get and quality by definition is a continuous improvement process Right. It
1: never stops. It never finishes. Never stops. Never. How can engineers or or engineering firms learn from OSHA and and even get involved with OSHA? Like you said, it's that, oh, they're here or they're coming. We need to make sure we're doing everything now. In an ideal world, we're all learning from that and getting involved with them.
2: What suggestions do you have? Well, my first suggestion is that their website is a treasure trove of information. So you have www.osha.com. It's got everything in there. It's got all the standards, all the regulations, it's got training videos. It has a wealth of information. So you could browse the website and get some information. What I used to do as a project manager, construction manager, well, there's a law in Dade County that says that all workers on a government project of more than a million dollars need to have their OSHA 10. And I took it a step above and I said, all my supervisors need the OSHA 30. So as an engineer, it's probably a good idea to take the OSHA 10 or the 30 and have those cards under your belt. I'd say the 30 is probably more important. That way you guys are eyes and ears on site as well. So if you see something, say something. If you see a guy walking a beam like a tightrope without Any fall protection, a hard hat, no safety gear, scream at them and say, hey, get down from there. So recognition of hazards and unsafe acts would be beneficial for engineers, I think.
1: I think that's a great idea and a great perspective. I encourage in land development in the world that I normally live in, there's a big part of sediment control, erosion and sediment control. So in Maryland, where I work, everybody that's installing that equipment or that those features, the silt fence and the earth dikes and all those systems have to be qualified. They have to take a test and follow it. And I encourage all of the engineers and all the people I work with, because it's a free course, go take it because then you at least have the understanding that the people in the field do that are installing it. And you're saying the same kind of thing with the OSHA, that like they may only go on job sites once or twice here and there. But to have that knowledge and that perspective, even when you're doing design and you're thinking through how does a contractor execute, how do they safely build this, you're giving them those perspectives and ideas. And I think that's a great thing.
2: Yeah. OSHA may never come on your site. There's only four reasons why OSHA would come. If there's a fatality, there's a really bad accident, if they see imminent danger or somebody blows the whistle and say, hey, that guy's doing something bad. Those are the only four reasons they come. (laughs) But sometimes they they have planned inspections. Like we've had some crane collapses and coincidentally on I-95, which is our main highway here in South Florida, they were putting up some light poles, really tall concrete light poles. And a crane had it. The crane toppled. The the light pole came down and it hit man lift bucket. Two men were in it. One of them's now uh, in critical condition. And it closed down the road for hours. It was a really bad traffic jam. So when they saw these crane collapses, so they say, hey, 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 we gotta beef up our crane standard. And they started inspecting cranes more thoroughly.
1: We'd like to include in, in each podcast episode uh, what we call the power of experience segment. Maybe it's something that you know now that you wish you knew earlier in your career or any of that kind of perspective. Can you share a little nugget of information maybe?
2: I thought long and hard about this, but what I came up with is your company owns your job, but you own your career, and it's up to you to take care of your career. No one's going to take care of it for you, so I'm a huge proponent of, you can call it professional development, career development, personal development. Just use the word development. Develop yourself. Add value to yourself so that you can add value to your company. Because you never know, after 25 years, I was let go. Not because of my performance or anything. They just had some financial troubles. 25 years of loyal service with integrity and honesty. And good night. See you later. And I became a consultant. So I always turn lemons into lemonade. And I couldn't be happier with my life right now. I'm independent. I can do whatever I want. I consult. I do quality audits. I speak in public. I teach. I make art. I'm happy.
1: That's a great perspective. You definitely have the wheels turning in my head.
2: It's quite a shocker when I tell people that line about the company owns your job and you own your career, so take care of it. A lot of people go, what?
1: <laughs> the company loyalty, even if you go back and, and look historically at the unions and some of the other, those people that have worked for companies and then just like out because of nothing that they did, but because of choices that that business made, then what? What are you doing to advocate and sell yourself? I think that's a beautiful thing about LinkedIn, where you can connect and interconnect with other people, the industry, and let your opinions and knowledge known, but also learn from others that are willing to share. So, What is the best way that somebody can get a hold of you or get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing and what you've been doing?
2: The best way is connect with me on LinkedIn. I have over 9,500 connections, and I know who the people are. Most of them I've met try to be selective about requests. You know, if I get too many real estate agents or financial planners or people offer me a franchise, that's not the connection. And the connections, I use them to help people. So what I do with my students is they send me their resume and I help them with it. And I edit it using track changes, send it back to them. I turn it into a PDF and I'll post it on my feed. I'll tag this guy named Oleg who has 3 million followers. And the least amount of views they'll get is a 1,000 views. And so I offer that service for free, no interest. I've done it hundreds of times, help people get jobs. That's my new goal as a professor is to help my students get jobs. And I don't help just my students. I help everybody, cohorts everywhere. So my email address is eugenio.jaramillo at iCloud.com. LinkedIn or my email address is fine and you can reach me. I answer all requests, and I answer all emails.
1: Thank you for your time. Thank you for your knowledge and to
2: your continued success. Thank you, Brian. I'm flabbergasted that I'm I'm able to be on your show and hopefully make a small impact to the engineering community.
1: Please remember that you can find the show notes for this episode and all episodes at engineeringqualitycontrol.com. There you'll find a summary of the points that we've discussed, along with the resources and websites that have been mentioned, along with the information on how to contact Geno. Until next time, friends, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors.
0: dot org.